Heavenly Father, we pray that in this final chapter of Job, that we would continue to hear your voice. That we would continue to see you at work in the life of Job and in our lives. We pray, therefore, that we would indeed see your glory and know your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And they all lived happily ever after. Everyone likes a happy ending, whether it's at a panto or a Disney film or a fairy tale. The heroes triumph, the villains are caught and punished, and everything is ironed out before the curtain falls or the credits roll or you turn the last page of the book. So when we come to Job chapter 42, is this just another fairy tale ending? Does God do fairy tale endings? Let's review the story so far so that we know exactly where we are. Satan had accused Job of loving God only because God had blessed him, had put that hedge of protection around him. And so God permitted Satan to take away his possessions and his children and then his health to inflict him with those sores. All that happened in the first two chapters. Since then, Job has been lamenting his circumstances and debating back and forth with his three three so-called friends. When their arguments were done, then another man, Elihu, stepped in. But we didn't look at him because, well, God doesn't mention him and he fades away from the story again. And then last week we saw how God suddenly intervened and spoke to Job directly and asked him all those questions. Job had been asking questions about how God ran the universe. So God asked Job some questions of his own. How to rule the universe for dummies. Basic stuff, but Job couldn't answer even one question. Back in chapter 40, God asks, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job's initial response was to say no more. In chapter 40 he says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand upon my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice. But I will proceed no further. But that wasn't enough. God Then continues asking about Behemoth and Leviathan. A picture of Satan's chaotic power. And it's that awareness that God has power over Satan. While Job has none, has none, has no power over Satan. It's that awareness that eventually brings Job to this closing chapter in the book. It's not 
the happy ending that we expect. But it's God working for his glory in the lives of Job and his friends and his family. And as we look at the chapter tonight, it'll be good to have it open in front of you. We'll do so under three headings. Repentance, rebuke and restoration. Repentance, rebuke and restoration. And as we do that, we'll see God's power, God's mercy and God's vindication and blessing. So first up, repentance. Throughout the book, Job was asking why all these bad things had happened to him. After all, he was righteous. He didn't expect bad things to happen to one who was trusting in God. Despite the friend's accusations, Job remained steadfast and even suggested that God might be in the wrong in the way in which he was running the universe. But that was until God spoke and demonstrated Job's ignorance and weakness and powerlessness. So how does Job respond? Look at verses 1 to 6. How does Job respond? Through repentance. He realises that he has gone too far. That he has said too much. That he has spoken about things that he didn't really know about. It would be like a toddler trying to write a PhD dissertation to get his doctorate. It's out of his depth. Instead of asking all those questions. It's enough for Job to be reminded of who God is. His holiness expressed in his sovereignty. Verse 2. I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is on the throne. And that must be enough for us. As Job sees God on the throne, as he sees clearly who God is, Job despises himself. He he thinks back on his attitude, his words, and he, verse 6, he despises himself and repents in dust and ashes. Do you remember at the end of chapter 2, Job started on the ash heap. Lamenting his calamity. And he ends on the ash heap in repentance. As he says in chapter 28. Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. This isn't quite what we expect. If it's a fairy tale ending. Job is presented as the main character, the hero of the book. His name is in the title after all. And we expect our heroes to be all conquering and unapologetic. So think, for example, of the fairy tale hero Shrek. 
You know, the big green cartoon monster. He rescues the princess with a little help from his friends. But Job isn't the hero of this story. God is. Are there things that that we need to repent of? Yes, even as Christians, when we fail to trust God's sovereignty or when we think we could do a better job. Job is helping us to see ourselves in perspective, not at the centre of the universe, but with God in control, God on the throne. We see Job's repentance and God's power. Next, we come to another unexpected element of a happy ever after story. The villains, they normally get it. If it was a a panto, um, you'd be booing every time you saw the, the villain, Captain Hook or whoever it is. Or think of the the sticky bandits in Home Alone, where they get caught in all those situations and then they're arrested. And even in the second movie, when they get out of prison, you know they're going to get caught again. That's how these stories work. We laugh because they deserve it. But that's not what happens here in Job's story. There are villains, yes. Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar are addressed by God. And they're told in verse 7. My anger burns against you. And against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has. Are they going to get it? Does Job need to stand back? And give room for the thunderbolt to come from heaven and smite them. Well, no. You see, in God's rebuke of the three friends, we also see God's mercy. God's anger burns against them. But it is God who takes the initiative to turn aside that anger. God provides the means for them to be reconciled to himself. God says in verse 8, Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. You see what their fault was. Twice it is identified in what the Lord says. You have not spoken of me what is right. They were misrepresenting God. They were not speaking of God what what was right. They were telling lies. They were uh, taking God's name in vain. As they blamed God for Job's miseries. Rather than Satan. What they were doing was. They were painting a wrong picture of God. They were creating an idol. In their own image. 
But what a marvellous picture of the true God and of his mercy as he provides them with pardon through the actions of his servant Job. A sacrifice to take away their sin. One who prays for them to take away their sin. And you see in that that paragraph where God speaks to Eliphaz, there are four sentences. And each one contains the words, my servant Job. God is making sure that Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar know that Job is his servant. But more than that, we who are Christians have one who prays for us. One who has offered that sacrifice to take away our sins. The one who turns aside God's anger and God's wrath towards us. And as we trust in Christ, we can be sure that God accepts Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' prayer. Rebuke reveals God's mercy as repentance displayed God's power. So then we come to the final verses of the book of Job. To the section that it might seem most like a happy ever after fairy tale. In summary, uh, from uh, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He's given twice as many sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys as we found in chapter 1 and verse 2. And he has another seven sons and three daughters. And the whole town turns out for a party. Like the big happy scenes at the end of a fairy tale story. Verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and he had bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And you wonder, where were all these people when Job was going through his suffering? Why do they only turn up for the party? At the end. Job is restored. He's given long life to endure it. Another 140 years after his suffering. Job, God's servant, has been vindicated. It has been shown that he doesn't trust God for what he gets out of it. But he has held firm through hard times as well as good. Job is an illustration of what the Lord says several times. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He has been tested. His faith is genuine. 
And Job is rewarded for his faith. He's restored, which demonstrates God's vindication and blessing of his servants. The question is, though, how do we apply this today? Can we jump straight from these words in Job 42 to our circumstances today and say, as some would, God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and happy. Is that the case? Whenever I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I googled that phrase just to see what would come up. And there was a book with that very title. God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and happy. uh, Available for sale. Now, At $22, perhaps it's only the author who will end up wealthy and happy. But according to him, if you're going through tough times, if you just have enough faith, if you buy the book, obviously buy the book, make sure you buy the book, um, you'll get all that you want and more. Another website that I looked at, Promise to make you a millionaire for Jesus. Anyone want the address of that one? But is that what it's all about? Is the Christian life all singing, all dancing, happy ever after? Wealth, health, happiness from here to forever. God does Vindicate his people. God does bless his people. That's what Job 42 is teaching us. But we can't always expect it in this life. Job was described by the Lord as my servant Job. Another one who was... The servant of the Lord. Endured excruciating pain. Mocking. Shame. And taunts of what the Lord's will was for his life. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. God's will is for you to be wealthy and healthy and happy. Ask Jesus, the chosen one, the servant of the Lord. His way of obedience led to the death of the cross. And he was vindicated by being raised to life on the third day. There's another book by an American prosperity preacher called Your Best Life Now. And he basically says, you know, you just have to trust God and everything's going to be okay. And someone put quotes from that book next to pictures of the Apostle Peter's martyrdom. The Apostle Paul's martyrdom. 
which is authentic. It's the way of the cross. And if that is what Jesus endured, why would it be difficult? Uh, sorry, why would it be different for his followers? If you're going through difficult times now, I cannot say to you, name it and claim it, like the prosperity preachers. Just say it and things will be okay. God will vindicate his people and will bless them. But it may not be in this life. That's why we long for the return of the scarred saviour. The one in whom we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I can't promise you a fairy tale ending for your suffering here and now in this life. The bad guys don't always get it. The righteous aren't always wealthy and healthy. But remember what Job's ultimate hope was from a couple of weeks back. What did he know? I know. That my Redeemer lives. As Paul says in his letter to the Philippians. We await a saviour from heaven. Who will transform our lowly body. To be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him. Even to subject all things to himself. When Jesus returns, all will be restored. All sorrow for the believer will end. Joy will be ours for all eternity. And that is sometimes what we need to hold on to. In Job's story, which we've looked at, Over these past six weeks and particularly tonight we see repentance through the Lord's power. We see rebuke and the Lord's mercy. And we see restoration as the Lord vindicates and blesses. In the end our vindication is sure. But it's no fairy tale ending. In fact, it's so much better than that. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, as he quotes Isaiah chapter 64, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We're given a glimpse of what heaven is like in Revelation. But Isaiah and Paul say that none of us can really truly imagine just how amazing it will be. When sorrows will cease. 
What a day that will be. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we yearn for that day when we will see you face to face. When we will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to hold on to your hope. To bring us from this day to that day. Through as many days as you continue to give us. We thank you that you will indeed bring about vindication. So help us to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.